This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, folks, what's happening? Once again, you've got the DLR Cast, the only podcast by and for fans of the mighty, the retired one, the diamond one, <laughs> David Lee Roth. As always, I'm Steve, along with my good friend and confidant and man, Bon Vivant around town. I'm not even sure what that means or if I'm talking French. Live from the left coast, it's Darren Paltrowitz. What's happening, Darren? Steve, always a pleasure. Um, I did not plan on being sick for this song, so apologies for my voice. But hey, it is always a pleasure to be connecting with you on the air, off the air, etc. It's always a pleasure to not know what the hell is going on with David Lee Roth, which this episode is yet another edition of. I guess, however, <laughs> partially, because we'll get into this in a second, we have got one of the best interviews you've ever done one of the best interviews i think we've had so far on the dlr cast in fact i believe you can call this one a roth exclusive as far as it's someone who but hey, listen if you're listening to this by now you've read the show notes but we're very excited to talk about uh, this interview shortly however it's two weeks since the cancellation of and all the zaniness that went on during the yep. las vegas residency that wasn't in that time Sammy Hagar has announced a residency and the old, uh, the, I should say the old, the young rocker in me that used to get poked by friends all the time in the Sammy versus Dave wars, I guess, back in the late eighties when we all gave, you know, was when I used to let this shit get to me, those friends okay. back in the day would have gone to me today or back then and said, well, Sammy can do a residency in Vegas. Why can't Dave? And, that's yeah. a good question because that's what's happening. Sammy's got one all rolled up and ready to go. And as far as we know, we'll never hear Dave sing live again. Well, before we endlessly celebrate Sammy's praises, I do have to provide a little bit of an update where a fifth publicist from Sammy's camp has done the following to me. <laughs> Would you like to talk with Sammy next week? Yes. Ghost. <laughs> Oh, jeez. A fifth one. <laughs> and like three days after that, they announced the residency. And the bottom of the residency press release is, and for interviews with Sammy, please contact blank. So I reached out and went, hey, so just to let you know, ghosting. So <laughs> I think I think with Sammy, my questions still persist about how much of the every man I'm out for all you guys, I love you guys, how much of that is actually real? Well, I always like to try to give the benefit of the doubt. Let's say the schedule is very busy. There could be a guave emergency down in Cabo Wabo, <laughs> given the weather. Who the hell knows? Yeah. You know, we'll think it's above board. He's got a ton of requests. I get that. I was thinking a lot of something else, too, recently that that bums me out. And again, it's all speculation. Let's assume the cancellation was announced. Dave announced that it was COVID related. Um, you know, I mean, people recover from COVID. We've heard nothing otherwise. And what bums me out a little bit is that if there is this, if there's easier or a more efficient way to tour to do live shows in Vegas, it doesn't exist because right. you're. It is for an older veteran rocker, it is about as good of a touring or performance situation as you're going to get. You're not right. in and out of planes or buses. You're not going from town to town. You're stationary for however, how many days you need to be during the residency, presumably in a great suite, or yeah. you're an, you're a 90 minute 
90 minute private jet flight away. You can go home every night. It's the equivalent of Billy Joel flying back and forth from Montauk to Madison Square Garden once a month for two years straight in a helicopter. I mean, it's the same venue. Presumably the the any sound bugaboos are going to work out climate issues. It is about as good as good and for lack of a better word, easy of a live event situation as you can get as far as music, right? For an older rocker. Totally, totally, totally agree. This was a music business lesson I learned in the early 2000s from an old boss of mine when he was explaining to me why Foreigner plays so many casinos. And they're treated super well. They're paid super well. The food is good. <laughs> and There's some standardization, right? The rooms are pretty much the same. Yeah. yeah. And you you have your room, you go downstairs, you play, and you go back up to your room. You're Usually, not you're not dealing with sound craziness or an opening band craziness or anything like that that might happen. It's one gig, 75 minutes, you're in and out, done. Yeah. And generally speaking, the hotel provides the catering, the drinks, your room, the place to park the bus. If you're playing a gig in New York City. Oftentimes these days, you can't park the tour bus in New York City. You have to park it in Jersey. So then that's more salaries and more expenses. When you play the casino, if you're in the backing band, you still get a, your per diem. They give you your 40 or 50 bucks a day, but you're being fed. So, so that's just money that goes in your pocket. Right. Everyone loves playing casinos. So you're right. It doesn't get much sweeter than so that. Vegas, where it's one city, one place, that's it. Yeah. There's no wear and tear traveling on the body, right? No yeah. wear and tear on on crew as much, nowhere near as much. So the fact that this doesn't didn't get done, one bums me out. Two, just it makes me scratch my head even more. What else don't we know? Why didn't this happen? I mean, if you could sing on a Thursday and it's canceled, why is it canceled for good instead of three Thursdays from now? Yes, all valid points. And without naming names, certain people who are within the current Roth administration um, are not afraid to talk with me. And I have established there is an NDA in place. Uh -huh. So I believe that is why they are where they are right now, where only one or two people are allowed to speak for what's going on. And those one or two people are gone. I don't feel like speaking. <laughs> and that's that's why we are where we are right now. So, so I guess for right now, we got nothing but that. Nothing but uh, nothing but. Yeah, as people say. <laughs> or not or yet. <laughs> nothing but yet. <laughs> yeah, nothing but yet. <laughs> yeah. Or is, or is the late great Billy Preston once opined nothing but nothing means nothing. <laughs> Yeah. These people who are within his organization, um, they're not stopping working. They are not on the physical mend. Uh, they may or may not have posted social media photos from the last three to four weeks. Um, they exist, but I don't think that they want to lose their jobs in case something changes. 
this does happen. So I think yeah, that and, that's why they're being good employees and not saying anything. And let's face it, if you like who you're working for, if it's a really good gig, regardless, you're not going to go badmouth the boss or the company, right? I mean, you want to stay employed or you want to stay empl- somehow connected to for future employment, that sort of thing. Totally get it. Not wouldn't expect anything else. And I can't say I wouldn't be in the same exact situation. I mean, I wouldn't do the same thing if I was in the exact situation. But that's a totally different answer than we, we don't know who's sick. We, we don't know what's going on. Is everyone right. okay? Right. We're fine. Right. Interesting. Well, who knows? You never know if when you're, if your phone will ring, who will pick up in a garbled voice. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did. I, I don't, I don't think I told you this off mic. I basically sent another message to Team Roth going, <laughs> hey, uh, uh, I'd be interested in talking to Dave. I, I don't, you know, I will give creative control on this. Uh, I will only talk about the topics that he wants to talk about. We don't have to go anything controversial. It will go in these many places. Radio silence. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think yeah. I. Again, as always, tomorrow he could pop up somewhere else. I got a feeling it's gonna be I, my my hunch outside of artwork and maybe another song or two is mm-hmm. that's gonna be radio silence. However, mm-hmm. when I was listening back to the recent episode, you had said a source of yours mentioned that there could be all sorts of things happening, a lot of activity. It just might not. It's just probably not going to include musical activity. Yeah, or maybe that's just live musical activity. There is people are saying, yeah, he's never singing live again. But but I think I'd mentioned in an episode a couple episodes ago that there's a mysterious 2004, 2005 Vegas residency that was supposed to happen. Did we talk about that? You mentioned, I think we might have got a little sidetracked, but I remember you mentioning it briefly. Yes, it was supposed to be produced by the people who produced the Crazy Girls show review and different burlesque kind of things. And right now. Yeah. They leaked the news of that to one of the Vegas newspapers before the ink was dry. And then they did like a second leak where they're like, um, no, 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 it's a totally new show and it doesn't have the strippers in it. And it's more of a comedy thing. And then it went away. And I made contact with the two different people who were producing it. And one of them, to put it nicely, was like, yeah, I haven't worked with her in 15 years. And then the other one's like, um, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> so, you know, the more I delve into the Dave world, the more projects we see that he kind of starts and stops. And sometimes details get out there. I was talking to another unnamed source the other day. And basically... A lot of stuff was supposed to happen during that Van Halen run between 2007 and 2015 that not all four members of the band agreed on. And details of those things have not really emerged publicly. So it just makes me think that Dave, every day of the week, is working on something. But maybe it doesn't happen. And no one's at liberty to leak the details. And... They remain. Um, what was the the Roth mis, uh, mystery term we had? Um, um, oh, now I'm spacing on it. Mysteries. I don't know. Whatever it is, <laughs> we it was a good, we had a good word there. Damn it. Whatever it is, I just think that you continue 
to have to speak to like a hundred people and compare all their notes and figure out what's happening. Hence why we know so little about so many different, different things. And if anything's going to happen ever again, you know, if Roth does come out and do, do an interview, where do you think it is? Do you think it's Rogan? You know, he's done Rogan before. He's done Marin before. Is there another podcast that maybe he'd want to suddenly show up on? You know, somebody may not be, you know, nowhere near as big as those two, let's say. Or does he go to where he's comfortable? I mean, that, you know, that assumes that Rogan or Marin would have him on right away. Again, either. It's been relatively, I mean, if those guys are bombarded for guests, they got busy schedules, right? I mean, maybe they just go, ah, call us in six months. Yeah. Um, have you been seeing a lot of the people posting like, oh, the sucks that the Roth residency was canceled. I was supposed to go. Have you seen some of those posts? Mm, very few. There was a Paulie Shore one. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're getting at. <laughs> um, there was I, I texted with somebody who works with Stephen Piercy and she said he was supposed to go along with Niels Lozauer. So he was slated to go. Um, what was another good one of somebody? Eddie Trunk said that he was supposed to go to a specific show, and I forget who it was with. I think but, lots of people ended up ended up you know ready to go, yeah. um, especially from the rock cognoscenti, let's say. Um, but yeah, I was just thinking too uh, something else that we were talking about as well, and that is. I, I, now that I'm thinking of it, we, we were talking, we were digging into this a lot in the last episode. And that is nobody has seen Dave in person or anything. in like, since, well, what did we figure out since the VMA the, awards, the VMA awards, September, there's been no, the photos for the, the photos for the posters and everything were old, right. Mm -hmm. We're older photos, right. Um, for, for the posters, for the merch, what we've seen around and the press stuff. And he certainly, I mean, for a guy who would show up and do video stuff, that weird retirement announcement in August was just, some bizarre it almost sounded like a freaking answering machine greeting for god's sakes i mean do you know what i mean it was, I wasn't even that the audio wasn't even that great for god's sakes so i don't know what there's I, what is that all about that there's something there that i can't quite put my finger on yeah when you have that kind of a, a person who's always seen and then never seen like richard simmons was another one of those is yeah you know richard simmons <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. God, <laughs> you hear, you heard it here, folks. Only the DLR cast can make an analogy for Dave out of Richard Simmons. Yeah, there, there's not a lot of people like that. That when Richard Simmons disappeared, he'd still been teaching an exercise class every week at his exercise studio, no matter how famous he right. was. He was still there. And Dave has had his reclusive years, but if you go through the Getty Images archives, you see that he did go to fashion shows. Oh, yeah. Hamptons things. He was out and about, even if it didn't make the media rounds. He would yeah, show he up for stuff he cared about. Yeah, he would show up at things we'd hear about. I mean, yeah. I think he does a lot more than most people realize. I think for yeah. I think I think for press nowadays, it's if he's not generating it himself. Do you know what I mean? It's like if if somebody in his camp, what camp there is, isn't sending things out to select publicists to leak out there or other people, 
we just might not know about it because let's face it, there's a lot of bigger celebrities in him and is, I, you know, for him to do the VMAs, it show up at the VMAs. Well, that was kind of big news because here's a, one of the, you know, most influential guys in MTV history showing up, hasn't been there in ages. And so I get that as far as other things. I don't know. I mean, it might just not make, I mean, I don't think he's that visible, but he also, when he wants to, he can fly completely under the radar, which brings us to this week's guest. Oh, but before we get there, can I tell you a, a weird secondhand Dave story? Someone oh, of told course. Me. So um, Dave, it looks like he hasn't had a steady publicist in like 15 years. It kind of looks like he goes, I want to do this interview and that one, and then I'm going to disappear again. But somebody who's absolutely credible, who's absolutely a public relations executive, told me a story <laughs> in like 2010, 2011, something like that. Dave reached out because he was in the market for a publicist. And he reached out and, you know, it looked pretty interesting. And then with PR companies, usually there's the person who runs the company, and then there's like a junior person who's kind of the day-to-day person. And that's the person you get on the phone. That's the person who handles the small details. You know what I'm talking about, the day-to-day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> so Dave tries to get to know the day-to-day. <laughs> it's like, so what do you like to do in your in your free time? And the day-to-day goes like, well, you know, I like to go to the gym. I like to watch movies. And apparently Dave blew a gasket at this. Like, I'm not working with a guy that goes to the gym. What? <laughs> this was a legit story that was told to me. And it kind of relates to like a story that and another anonymous thing that somebody told me, like they, when they were talking to him after being on a radio show of his, <laughs> it's, it's, the more stories I'm hearing about Dave is just mid-sentence. He can just decide he doesn't like something and leave the room. And they're just these weird things that you that we don't hear about. So <laughs> one day I'll be able to attribute some names. But my overlying point to the whole thing is that Dave looked like he was going to get into the publicist game again in the early 2010s. Interesting. I think maybe just... For him, to, if he if there's a bunch of things he wants to do, if he doesn't, I it, I think if you're a publicist, it's very it's it's a quick retainer deal, right? It's yeah. like we just need you for a for a month to advance this, and that's it, if that. And then the publicist goes, well, everything I gave to you turned down, and you wanted to call it, you know, or you just did shit completely on your own, like calling a Vegas newspaper or whatever, talk about retirement, you know? I mean, yeah. You do, or maybe you just maybe you just didn't take the publicist's advice and said, "Fuck it, I'm going to do what I want to do for you know ahead of these shows." I'm not taking direction from someone who goes to the gym. Exactly. (laughs) What whatever it is, um, you know, I said this an episode or two ago, but certain people after the way he canceled those dates with the "we were rained out," ha ha ha, that kind of thing. People, people who knew Dave and worked with Dave when. Oh my God, what is he doing? So it's it's unfortunately not just us who are still scratching our heads and going, what the hell? But um, 
Yes, I've interrupted you a few times, and we have an interview this week with Linda Reisman. Linda Rice. Yes. Why did I say her name wrong? I'm not sure. It's the time zone, perhaps. You're tired. You've got jet lag. I get it. Jet lag, jet lag. But Linda, if you listen to, I think, the second episode of Dave's show on K-Rock, she was in the studio because that was his actual EMT teacher, not a gimmick. Right. So, okay. So let's set this up right. For those who remember, Dave was an EMT in the early aughts, correct? In New New York City of all places. And heretofore, I'm pretty sure this is the only person I've ever heard, and we've got it, you've got it, to talk in depth about Dave's training as an EMT, about why he wanted to do it, how he did it, his work ethic, everything that Dave talked about in this. There was no, over the time, heretofore, we only got Dave's view of it talking about it here we got somebody else talking about it basically and what you know basically embellishing and giving more credence and more details about all of that in addition to what dave has said over the years which you know has been a, not that substantial but given the basics but she really gets in it in depth and she just seems like a super cool person somebody i'd love oh. to hang out with but Man, she what a great situation she was in. And it just sounds like she really admired what Dave was doing. And he took it 100% seriously and worked his ass off. You make a really good point there. Dave spoke a lot about being an EMT, but it was always the same three anecdotes when you think about it. Right. There was the one that, like, were you ever recognized while you were doing this? And then he tells some story about, I think, after an OzFest concert in the Bronx or something like that, that the guy kind of recognized him. But you didn't know if that was really the true story, but he said that one a lot. Um, he, I don't know. He he would always, you, you could tell me if you disagree, but he would always kind of change the topic and make it about how he loves living on the Lower East Side and yeah, how eccentric I, it is. As opposed to saying I did X number of runs or these were the hours I did or this is when I did it. <laughs> like I th- never knew when he did it. I th- Well, I think also the fact that, I mean, it's it's ironic, right, for a guy who is, wears the world championship belt as far as blowing his own horn about his accomplishments, <laughs> substantial as they are, and rightfully he so and should, he always pretty much downplayed, I think maybe out of respect for the gig. Perhaps. And he knows how difficult and how tough it is to be an EMT. And I certainly don't think he'd ever want to try to in any way paint it as something or have it implied as something other than what it really was, especially to people he shared, you know, a truck with or shared going on calls with or whatever. I mean, I I really believe that. I think, you know, it's especially after listening to this interview with Linda, he did this because he was passionate about it and yeah. and she gets into why and for all the right reasons this was no glamour thing he wasn't showing up there with an advanced person trying to all right so when you come out of the ambulance we want the stretcher to be on this angle so we can catch dave dave you know what i mean none that was not none of that shit was the case nobody knew this was going on no one knew it was going on until maybe he leaked it to the press at a certain point but Pardon me, I didn't press the cough button that time. Um, (laughs) It's sort of weird because if he was doing this in, did she say 02 or 03? I thought it was a little bit before that. I I can't remember the timeline exactly. I always equate New York with your filthy little mouth from like 94 to like 
2004, let's say, before everything got back and rolling with Van Halen and Ernest, which was 2007. But he was in New York for K-Rock in 06. And that's probably, right. It was 05, 06, because so, that's you're correct. Yes. So it's kind of funny if you take a step back and you think about it. If the EMT stuff, let's say 2000, 2001, 2003. Sure. Not that far off from No Holds Barbecue, which is the most unwoke thing. <laughs> <of> <laughs> yeah, <this> true. <laughs> it's that's like the most bizarre, politically incorrect thing I would have to say he did in his whole career. And then the EMT thing is the most like giving back, unselfish thing he ever did. Right. At the same time, perfecting skills and doing what I think has always been his M.O. And that is just a constant pursuit of not a thrill so much, but a constant pursuit of passion and to educate himself. Yeah. So it was cool that Linda, like, remembered dates and yes, names of hospitals and institutions, because that corroborates what Dave is saying in true detail. Completely. And it sounds like she still occasionally keeps in touch with him, too. He's somebody who doesn't forget the people that mean a lot to him. And he still, uh, from what she mentions, reaches out every now and then. Yeah. So it's a totally positive Dave story. And it's a head scratcher like that he doesn't want this good side of him out there so much. Yeah. I mean, he certainly never put it out there in any big way. Just really those three anecdotes, more or less, that you mentioned. It's part of the Dave lore. For the most part, nobody really knows about it as far as uh, some of the inner workings of it until now, until this interview. So kudos to you, my friend, because it's a great one. Thank you. And this is also not too far off from that Ashley Abernathy charity song that he did. That's, that's on Spotify, on Spotify. yes, <laughs> that nobody knows about. Which he also doesn't talk about. So it's like, what kind of person doesn't talk about their good deeds ever? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I know over time he's been involved. He's definitely donated, helped some different charities and stuff. Yes. You heard kind of second or third hand, sometimes in the press, sometimes not in Pasadena, different things he's done. I mean, for for a guy who his dad was a doctor. I mean, he came from, I think, from a background where he saw people give back pretty regularly. He worked in hospitals growing up. He's uh, as what he was a uh, some sort of orderly or when he was in community college or something like that. So, I mean, it hasn't, he certainly didn't come from a complete ivory tower background um, or was so far removed from seeing those sorts of things on an everyday basis growing up. Right. So, I mean, I think that kind of definitely informed him to do something like being an EMT. Yeah. Um, I really cannot think of a better analogy besides Richard Simmons <laughs> with, um, you know, bad guy wrestlers and professional wrestling that they're generally the nicest people ever, but they can't put out there that they're nice people doing good deeds because it goes against the character. Well, the Diamond Dave character would never apologize for anything. The Diamond Dave character is almost like a rodeo clown. It's it's like I'm here to amuse and entertain you all. So maybe it's off brand to be saving lives and doing good deeds. You know, possibly. But yet when I think, I mean, that could be it too. But when you think of all the other things that he's done outside of the rock stuff that he was really willing to talk about mm -hmm. in such a way, especially the Aikido stuff, the martial arts, uh, you know, doing videos about uh, his, about Russ and, and, 
and uh, uh, border collie competitions, right? I mean, yeah. And do, and do you remember those? He was doing like these. He's, you know, he's done so many the tattooing, the artwork, the whatever he was doing in Japan and stuff. I mean, so there's, but this is this was really everything else. Maybe have he's has been the most muted as far as the things he's talked about outside of the rock world. Yeah, the only reason I knew about the dog training related stuff he was doing and him adopting from a Pasadena animal shelter was because somebody in the Roth Army message board heard him talking, going like, that's not Dave. Why would he be here? And he was in one of his disguises where he's got the goatee and the baseball cap. <laughs> Dave Lee Roth doesn't have a goatee. <laughs> I don't know if that's so much a disguise so much as, you know, off-season Dave, perhaps, you know? Yeah. So, but how much of the things we know are just because other people were telling about his good deeds and his, his local stuff. So it's almost like if nobody saw this stuff and nobody spoke about stuff after they'd worked with him, we would know even less about the guy at this point. It would all be about stuff that he wanted to be put out there, whether it's uh, getting busted for $10 worth of Jamaican <laughs> bunk weed in New York, or remember yeah. a few years ago, somebody tried uh, breaking into his house or breaking into his yard and he was tra trained a gun on him until the cops arrived. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just, Another another uh, page in the chapter of Dave, I guess. So, but this was a this was a real good one because this is a time period where not most people know very little about. And I think it's this is one of the time periods, or especially one of the uh, outside of the rock and roll sphere uh, things that he's done that I've want that I've always been the most curious about. Yeah, it's if you think about two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand two, there was internet, but there wasn't social media. Right. So, you know, Dave was actually a really early Internet guy. Did we ever talk about his 1998 webcasts? Uh, briefly, I think so. Maybe it was off my I can't remember, but he was in that space very early on for a minute. Yeah. So th that's like another Roth mystery for for me, because he talked about in the Rogan and maybe the Marin interviews, like, I don't have a cell phone. I took the bedroom TV out of my house. Right. I'm off the grid. Um, and they're like, well, what if you need somebody? Oh, I call this number. And then the car shows up. So it's like he's claiming he has no internet or no smartphone. But some of the press releases around the cancellations of the Vegas shows were like, and the following was sent to us by text message. So like, so he has a phone again? Again, <laughs> so yeah, I, early I, on the internet, and then he quit the internet, and he's back on the internet. Yeah, and he's talked about what he listens to on Netflix and different. I mean, so he's yeah. he's aware of what's he's not a complete luddite. We know that much. And he was doing two different podcasts for God's sakes in the last five, six years, eight years, right? I mean, the most recent one ended right before the 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 end of twenty nineteen, before he we went on the road with Kiss. And I was running CDs in his backyard. Well, that we know. Too. <laughs> Hey, he's nothing but entrepreneurial. I mean, this is a guy who was papering flyers all over the place in Pasadena in Southern California, put them under windshield, uh, windshield uh, wipers out, you know, the parking lot of Los Angeles Forum when ACDC was playing or whatever, you know? I mean, yeah. so he, he's been nothing but the hustle. Yeah. I, hey, all this said, you know, I'm, I'm still disappointed that we don't know what's going on with the guy. 
but he has given us a lot of entertainment, a lot of fodder, a lot of greatness. Just hope he's well. Just it's yeah, it's like the old Jewish grandmother. Like, just call us once in a while. <laughs> Let, Let us, us know, know how you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Is it so hard to do that, David? <laughs> David. <laughs> yeah, that that's kind of all I want. I don't care if he just like if it's two senses of like, hey, a lot of rumors about me. I'm doing fine. See you down the road. That's all I need. Yeah. Just just give us something that says you're fine. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 been so cryptic and so and it doesn't have to be. That's the thing. But that it has to be if he wants it to be that way. And apparently he's fine with it. So. But um, but, well, you know, running down the recap here, we don't know what's going on with him. We know that Sammy and Mike Anthony have their. Six or seven shows in Vegas, which I have to say, it makes me sound like a traitor. There's a tiny chance I'm going to that. Hey, there's no trade. You know what? That's it's fine. Enjoy it, man. I think it well, could be great. Here's why. I was able to look at the calendar. And that same weekend of the last Sammy shows, there's a Scorpion Skid Row show in town. There's the Foreigner Residency where they're doing like pretty much the whole four album. And there's a PI convention. Come on. Come Dude, on. That's all you. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you, first off, you can be there for for work and business reasons. Yes. And tie in some some really cool rock shows of which the odds are good. You're not going to see those any of those guys around from, for uh, six, seven years from now. Yeah. So, you know, most people would go, you're either Sammy or Dave. I'm no. not a... I, hey, look, with if Sammy's not doing Van Halen on the road... We've got no Van Halen. Would you rather have some Van Halen or no Van Halen? Exactly. And I mean, Sammy's long got a good, uh, there's so many, I'd be happy to hear some Montrose songs, some Sammy solo stuff, mix it up. I mean, he's always done cool covers. I think he's going to be great in Vegas. I I mean, if he only played three Van Halen songs, I wouldn't be disappointed because he's got so many, so so much other music. Yeah. I just want to hear two hours of chicken foot myself. Well, and chicken foot too. <laughs> no, no, that is not true. But um, his the 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 hotel that he's playing at, the Strat, also has the Cheap Trick residency. So ah. you know, that gives me hope for a lot of our favorite artists continuing having a home. Um, Vegas being interesting. Vegas not just being where the lounge acts go. It it right. It's interesting to see if. That is just ultimately what all these artists do instead of 40 date summer tours in the future. If they can make the same amount of money playing 12 shows at one venue and you got to go there. So that I think and cruises a, and cruises a study. Yeah. That and, and boat cruises. Yeah, we, we've seen a lot of interesting boat cruises in the last couple of years. Slipknot, <laughs> Megadeth, <laughs> not exactly the most cruise-oriented bands, but, you know, rock is not dead. That, nope. that's, if, if you read Facebook enough, you'll see, oh, rock is dead, there's no good music. Not true. Not true so, at all. I think it'll be interesting to see how these Sammy shows go also. Um, you got to be curious to see how they sell, too. That that's what I mean by by that. Um, right before COVID happened, he had a triple bill tour that was him, White Snake, and Night Ranger that didn't happen due to COVID. 
would have been a hell of a tour from a entertainment level, but I couldn't have imagined that did more than six, you know, 4,000 tickets a night. Yeah. And I'm a big night Ranger fan and a white snake fan. I bought both their last records and was listening. I kid you not. I was listening to the most recent night Ranger record today on my way home. So great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if and that's the thing. And Cheap Trick put out a great record too. And all brings back to the point where, well, if they all can do it. Why can't Dave get out there and do it? God damn it! <laughs> and most of the musicians who Dave played with are willing to join him at any given time. Oh, of course they are. Um, I'm not saying Ted Templeman would come out of retirement to do a Dave album, but there's plenty of people who worked with him. I'm sure Rick Rubin would do a Dave album. That would be a good, you know what, that, that would might be an interesting uh, podcast episode, kind of the, you know, dream collaborations, dream bands, right, to work with Dave. With the caveat being you can't automatically go with the Eat em and Smile band. They did that already. Who would you like to see Dave play with now, today? Yeah, so if I'm hearing you correctly, um, no damn reason to stop this podcast because we got the fantasy <laughs> booking episodes. Yeah. We, we still have to figure out who Dave's butcher was, yes. whose dog walker was. And uh, we've got a lot of great interviews still to come, including this one next, ladies and gentlemen, with Linda Reisman. Exactly. So thanks for listening, Steve. Thanks for bearing with all this and nothing but yeah. My pleasure, man. I look forward to the next episode and the next episode of Where Will Darren Be? oh man i cannot wait to be home for a long period of time travel is one of those things that they tell you is amazing and then once you're flying five six hours a clip no it's not (laughs) no 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 it's it's it it's such a pain in the ass so often nowadays so but exactly so so i will enjoy it here hopefully i will be unsick in the next episode and again millionth time Thank you to anyone who takes the time to listen. Thank you, guys. Take care. I discovered you because I was listening to an old episode of Dave's radio show on K-Rock. And you were in the studio as the guest on that episode. I think it was the second taping. And then I looked you up and I went, wow, that was legitimately his teacher. That was not a radio shtick kind of thing. No, actually, I, yeah, I was one of the sidekicks. I was on a few episodes with them because they kind of, kind of, you know how they wanted to build like sidekicks, like Howard Stern had. Yeah. So I, I had a very good relationship and a good rapport with Dave. So his manager and the K-Rock folks felt it would be a good idea to have, you know, the occasional guests that would come and visit, you know. So, um, yeah, it was a really good experience. It was so out of my wheelhouse, but a really good experience. So in terms of you training him, being his instructor, how exactly mm-hmm. does this happen? Because I know that you have a rich background in not just practicing the technique of the EMT world, but training the people to do that. Is it that you're an instructor and somebody goes, you have a new student and it's Dave. No, actually I'll give you a little background. Um, so I, for a good period of time for almost 10 years or nine or 10 years, I was with the New York state department of health um, bureau of EMS. Aside from my background working 911 ambulances and, uh, teaching EMS. And I was actually an instructor at the New York city EMS Academy. 
Um, what happened was um, um, I had applied back in like 1994 or 1993 to become the New York State EMS inspector for New York City, and I got the job. Hmm. I was the first woman in New York City ever to have that job. So that being said, um, back in around uh, 2001, I had resigned from that position and gone on to a different EMS position um, for a period of time. The 9-11 had hit, and uh, I was working federally because I was on a federal response team. I did some work federally um, uh, down at uh, Ground Zero. So um, because of my background, what happened was one of the training institutes uh, that um, was contacted by the New York State Health Department and um, I was at that time I had resigned and I was doing a different job, but I was still teaching and very active in the EMS community as a consultant and as an instructor. So uh, training for different, inst- you know, helping different institutes out, being one of their senior level instructors, running programs for them as well. So the state health department was a little concerned that if Dave was in a regular classroom, it would bring the media and all that. Right. And they had contacted uh, and uh, they gave his... Um, uh, they gave one of his assistants or his manager a couple of uh, phone numbers to call to find an EMS training institute. And the state had, when he when he said, oh, I'm going to use this institute, the state had called them and said, you know, maybe this could be more of a private class. So because the training institute knew me and the state knew me, they recommended maybe you should use Linda. And I knew the institute training anyway, the institute anyway. I had, you know, obviously regulated them and then done some teaching uh, when I left the state. So they were like, would you mind, can you do this program? Because, you know, David Lee Roth really wants to become an EMT. At first I thought it was a joke, right. but it really wasn't. And then I spoke to his manager and I spoke to the director of the training institute. And, and they're like, you know, Dave would prefer actually a, a private class. And would you be interested in doing it? Um, so we, yeah, I was like, you know what, why not? You know, and after I had spoken to his manager and I spoke to Dave, I, I felt that the level of sincerity was really there. And after I got to know Dave, uh, I really respected why he wanted to become an EMT. It wasn't just a fad or anything. I mean, I guess and I'm just going to give you the background and then you can pick what you want from it. But like basically, you know, what David said to me is, hey, listen, I, I've been on multiple, you know, uh, uh, you know, on, on, on tours where roadies and people have been hurt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to be able to help them if something happens. And, I, you know, I, I think it's important to know this skill set. I think it's important for me to really learn from the best if I can. And, I, you know, that kind of ties into a lot of things because, like, when you read about Dave's contract about the, uh, you know, about the brown M&M, <laughs> he was like, yeah, but, it, but it was really true. And it was yes. like, you know, if they're not reading that, how do I know that they built the stage correctly or did the reinforcements correctly or listen to what we how we wanted things set up? And um, he said he's, he's been, in, you know, he's, he's seen people get hurt. Oh, you know, due to, due to poor stage construction and things like that. And he's the kind of guy that wants to be prepared. Also tying into his concept of, you know, fame has just given me a passport to the world. Yeah. And, and, and if you think about all the things that he's done, right, the painting, learning how to do a guitar, you know, play Spanish guitar, hiring someone from South America, one of the best premier guitarists down there to train him and have a guitar and bring him a, a, a specialized guitar or, you know, I, I helped Dave become a pilot. Uh, you know, Dave, Dave is a, a pilot. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but he's no. a the pilot learned from one of the guys from ESU, you know, uh, who was, uh, who had retired. It was a former police officer trained Dave, um, one of the companies that Dave, you know, so 
you know, and now Dave's painting and, you know, Dave had the dogs. One thing about Dave is that he, he will master something that it's not good enough just to do, uh, do it and have, you know, the patch or whatever. Dave was very committed to being an EMT. He cut his hair. He didn't want anybody to know who he was. He wore his hat. He was very low key. We, he, he went to mall. I had him around the city in multiple different locations. I'd call the hospitals who all knew me because I regulated them, mm-hmm. you know, at the time, but prior to that. And I said, listen, I need a favor. I need Dave to rotate. It's not going to be, you know, we're going to keep it on the down low. Give me a couple of your best crews. Um, he did his rotations there and he really loved it. I mean, I had him, I had him at a, quite a few facilities around the Bronx, Manhattan, down in Brownsville, you know, and, uh, he resuscitated folks. I mean, he was on trauma calls. Uh, we also sent him uh, to specialized uh, tactical training so that if he ever was on a scene with the police, uh, he knew how to tactically operate in, a, in that type of environment. And he was gun ho And he, then he came back for a couple of refreshers. But I brought him up where I lived, up in Rockland, for his refresher classes, mm-hmm. um, you know, to be able to kind of like make it. He wanted to, he didn't want any fanfare. He didn't want any attention about it. He didn't want to take away from the integrity of what he was doing and his, and his partners and who he was riding with. Um, so I had such a level of respect for him simply because this wasn't a shtick. This wasn't to get attention or media attention. It right. really wasn't. Um, and he was very well respected by the EMS community and still is. I mean, people still say, have you seen Dave? Have you spoken to Dave? And, you know, like, um, when he was coming back with Van Halen or even on it, when he was, uh, you know, doing some of his private concerts, he would hand me a boatload of tickets and tell me, you know, give him, get, you know, get, get the guys down here from St. Vinny's or hmm. from uh, Mary Immaculate or, you know, or, or uh, uh, OLM, you know, I had him at NY, uh, New York Presbyterian. I mean, he wrote everywhere. He wrote at Long Island College Hospital down in, you know, so he took care of the EMS community, um, you know, was very caring uh, um, about, you know, how they were perceived and he was perceived and, you know, the industry was perceived. So, but that, that it kind of happened because I kind of knew everybody and they're like, oh, Linda can handle this. Yeah. And, you know, he wanted, Dave wanted one of the best. Not that I, I don't even put it in that I'm one of the best, but I was considered and still am considered one of the best because of my regulatory background. I was a senior instructor. I was regional faculty. I taught at the EMS Academy when it first opened at Queens General Hospital back in the early 80s. So everyone knew me. I knew everyone and the institutes were just like, yeah, this is a job for Linda. And that's how it happened. Wow. So much to unpack right there. One of the biggest difficulties I have when it comes to researching things related to David Lee Roth is the timeline on when things happen. I don't know how up you are on his musical career the last like 10 years or so, but he has... I'm pretty up on it. Yeah, I'm pretty up on it. So this new album that they've put out a few songs from, some people are saying, oh, he made that in 07. Other people go, no, he made it in in 11 and 12. And then other people are like, no, it's a couple of years ago. No one knows when that was made. His... EMT pursuits around when did it start ballpark? Was it 2002? Uh, um, I'm trying to remember Kim. The initial Dave was 2003, 2004, right? The initial, uh, EMT. I don't I'm trying to remember. Um, I'm trying to, I gotta remember it was, it had to be, it was definitely after nine 11. Um, my parents, I was working from home mm-hmm. um, because I had my own business. So it had to be, I would say 2004, right? Yeah, 2004. 
end of 2003, 2004. And I would travel, you know, the state gave us permission to travel to his um, apartment. And at that time it was, I won't say exactly where it was, but, right. but it was, he loved living on, he loved living on the Lower East Side. Loved the vibe there. Loved being, you know, he was just a really, really, he loved the community, loved the music down there, loved, you know, the grit. Yes. And um, so I, you know, I had equipment that I would bring to his apartment a couple of days a week. Uh, he would do his assignments. I mean, everything was, you know, I would do my lectures with him. Um, he would always had his homework ready, always completed his tasks, always made his rotations. Probably, and, and the intelligence level and the understanding of, 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 and, you know, it wasn't just good enough for Dave to pass the test. Dave wanted to pass really well. It wasn't good enough for Dave to know the basics. He wanted to know even more. So, you know, we kind of really beefed up the class for him because of his quest of knowledge. And, and I don't want to say the word perfection, but professionalism. There's just a level yeah. of professionalism that, that, He's not going to go out there. He didn't want to go out there and embarrass himself, hurt a patient, or feel like this was a shtick that he didn't want his partners or anyone. He made sure that, you know, that he was good. And then what I would do is I would actually bring in a couple of experts, whether it be a police officer or someone who specialized in uh, paramedic stuff. He even learned how to help the medics. You know, like the medics are at a little level of higher. Like, you know, he learned how to set up the EKG machines, things that normally you don't teach in an EMT class. But Dave... You know, it was like, I don't want to stand around with hands in my pocket and just be an observer. I want to be able, I want to be able to contribute, you know. And once I think everyone saw how his, he was proficient, you know, I mean, we, there's a lot of skill sets to this, right? There's patient assessment, yeah. there's bleeding control, there's learning to use a defibrillator, um, traction splints when someone fractures their femur, immobilization, spinal immobilization, um, oxygen therapy, uh, at that time, we were just starting with EpiPens and albuterol and, you know, and some medications and, and nitroglycerin. And so he took it very seriously. And um, even in his refresher classes, he made sure he made his way up, you know, to Rockland, where I was living. And we, um, we actually hit him out at the Rockland County Emergency Medical Training Center um, in Pomona. And uh, that's where he did a couple of his uh, refresher classes. Wow. Well, over to you here. As we talked about at the top of our conversation, you were on multiple episodes of the radio show on K-Rock, which, although you're an excellent speaker and you know your stuff, that must have been a fish-out-of-water scenario for you. Was it enjoyable, that chapter of your life? Well, it was very unexpected, and, I, and, and you know, I, I spoke in front of a classroom, and I, and I knew how to do that, but it's very different learning how to, first of all, I have. I came from Brooklyn. My, I have a cursed mouth. I, I actually, I actually had a statue of the Virgin Mary in front of me because I went to Catholic school to remind me not to curse. Right. That was one thing. Um, secondly, um, you have to get up at three in the morning. You know, it was. It was not that I wasn't used to working all hours or whatever, but I had to be up at three in the morning, down by K Rock early. You know, by ten o'clock in the morning, your day is over, but you've been up since like you know two or three you know, travel, we had to prepare at that time. There wasn't as much internet. So I had to have, you know, magazines delivered to my house. We had to set the boards up to what he wanted to speak about, whether it was Britney Spears or this or that, you know, it was very manual at the time. Um, and Dave had his own concepts of how he wanted to do that. So, you know, there were certain things that I did do. And then he had other folks come in and rotate me in and out. Um, 
But for the most part, it was really to have someone around Dave that he can bounce things off of. Um, so I did a few episodes. I, I did enjoy it. Um, it's not for me personally. Like I, I wouldn't want a career in radio or even podcasting. Um, it's just not for me. Uh, but I welcome the opportunity and I, I thought it was great. And anyone who can go on the radio and do podcasts, um, I'm in awe of because, you know, there's an art to that. There really is an art to that. So uh, keeping keeping people engaged that you're not really looking at and uh, keeping the conversation going and making it entertaining. So, you know, I have a lot of respect for people who are in the industry, actually. It sounds like that's another facet of Dave really, really doing his homework and really working hard, but at the same time kind of wanting to give the public image of that he was a slacker. It, do you know what I'm saying with that, where the hardest working guy wants to publicly seem like he's the least working guy. Tina, I, I never, actually, personally, I never got that impression. Um, I never got that impression of him. Um, I, I, because I was up close and personal and saw how he prepped and, and what his vision was for the show. Um, you know, and again, there was a lot of politics behind the scenes that I, you know, I was around, but I, I you know, I keep out of, you know, him working with, you know, the, the, the folks at K-Rock. Right. I mean, I mean, you really think about it, right? When you think about who he replaced, you know, Howard Stern and Robin, I mean, let's think about that. That's the iconic, probably radio, best radio guy will be in the history of radio. I agree so with in you. Fairness, in fairness, to, especially the hype and, and how they were on the, you know, and they were, they were on regular radio for how many years, you know, the airwaves for how many years, him and Robin, there was a big thing when they left and the whole serious thing. It was a lot of shoes to fill. Uh, other other folks felt that they should have gotten the job. So you know, Dave was up against Dave was up against a lot, and um, I didn't I don't I didn't feel at all slacking. I I felt he was really, you know, he really was into it. Um, but he had his vision, you know. And I guess sometimes things just don't work out for whatever reason when you're dealing with a corporate environment. So I would say more. Um, Dave's not, you know, maybe he's. It's not that he's a slacker. He has, he's an artist. He has his own vision. Um, there's a corporate there's a corporate perspective to things, and then there's the artist's perspective. And sometimes, I guess it doesn't mesh. Right. I totally understand what you're saying. The direct example I have is I had the pleasure of seeing his Vegas shows a year and a half ago, right before COVID. Mm -hmm. And one of his famous lines in concert is part of my French here, but. I forgot the fucking words. He yells that out once or twice every show. And there was a reviewer in the crowd for that first or second show at Vegas that won't. And do you see how under rehearsed he is? He doesn't remember the words. Clearly they weren't a diehard. You know how many artists use teleprompters for the words? Yeah. When you're talking about having a thousand. See, it's so funny. I just, I just, I just got off the Melissa Etheridge cruise. And, oh, six and, man. Yeah. yeah. And um, I can tell you how many of the, Folks said, I, and I forgot the words. Let's start all over. It happens. <laughs> it happens. But you know what? They're honest. You know, and someone, even Melissa said, sometimes it's, I'm good, glad I got a prompter here. You know, with, with 700 songs in my repertoire, sometimes this, you know, it happens. So I, I don't think it's an unprepared thing. I, I just think that how many times, you know, you forget things. You just forget things. If you do it so much, sometimes it doesn't make you remember it sometimes. It makes you forget sometimes because you just go blank. Sure. Well, no, I never would. I never ever would feel he would be unprepared. You know, was he tired? Did he? Did he? Did he just forget the words because you know the cues were different or off? Yeah, maybe. But he was honest about it. I always thought it was shtick to make it look like 
he wasn't as trying as hard. But whatever it is, two quick questions for you, and then you're free because sure. you've been so generous with this time and energy you've given me. And the first, no, no problem. The first one is: Do you have a favorite David Lee Roth album or Van Halen album? Well, I always liked I always liked uh, the first album. I mean, you know, and I, I I like all of Dave's work. You know, um, I actually really liked when he when he when he did the uh, the, the country style music. I kind of really liked that. I guess more of a blues country type thing. I mm-hmm. really liked that. Uh, that was strumming with the devil. I think you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I just really, I really respected that. You know, he went to a different genre and he challenged it. I mean, there's so many people do do that, you know, there are other artists that do that, but, um, I felt that that was very brave, um, true to his art that, you know, he wanted to do that. And, um, I, I, I really liked some of the music a lot. Sure. Well, the last thing is another thing that you find with Dave is he seems to have two or three year cycles with people coming in and out of his life. It's kind of like, he, they're his teacher or they're in his band and then they're not anymore. When was the last time that you heard from him or encountered him? Um, a few years, maybe a few years ago, three or four years ago, I think, um, roughly. I mean, occasionally he had sent like, you know, for during Christmas, a bottle of champagne to our house and he gave us a piece of artwork once. Wow. Um, you know, he was, you know, but I think Dave, don't forget, Dave was in Japan for many, you know, he's on an, you know, he was in Japan, right? Yes. Yeah, so I wouldn't say people cycle in and out of his life as much as he cycles into that, the past, you know, my, my fame is a passport to the world, a passport to knowledge. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I, I could, there's a possibility I may hear from Dave tomorrow, and I never <laughs> thought anything that I didn't hear from Dave in three or four years. I'm sure if I picked up the phone call his manager and said, could I have tickets, which I've done in the past, you know, of course. So I don't. I don't feel, you know, again, I had a, I had a different relationship with Dave in the sense that uh, it was a very professional relationship because I was his instructor. But I also, just so that you do know, for about a year and a half, I was his personal assistant. He liked me so much that he hired me as his personal assistant. Oh, wow. I never so, heard that. Yes. So, you know, and he had his manager, Matt, you know, and I would do a lot of stuff, you know, for Dave, get him flights. Uh, um, I, like I said, I, I got him, I, I took care of him when he wanted, uh, to, uh, to, uh, um, uh, become a pilot, uh, a couple of other things that he did that he was interested in. So, yeah, so I, he actually hired me and I was on payroll. Yeah. The more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Wow. Well, will we see you at any of the Vegas farewell shows? Um, I think Kim and I are going to try to fly out to one. Yeah. Um, I happen to play poker. I love playing, uh, uh, poker. So, uh, there's, there's a good possibility. And I know we went down and saw Dave down when he was down in, um, at, uh, where was it? Down in Florida. He was at House of Blues, right, Kim? Hard Rock. Right. That's right. That too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So yeah, you know, you, there's a good possibility. Yes. Well, and, and you know what the problem also is, is I, I am a, um, I'm still doing, I, I just retired from Memorial Sloan Catering. I was doing, uh. I was the director of emergency management and business continuity there. So I do do some consulting still, even though I swore that I was going to retire full time after COVID, but I'm actually doing some consulting right now from Mount Sinai, even from uh, North Carolina. So I think we're going to hit one show. I think we're going to fly out and try to hit one show and be there for a long weekend. And um, I get free brooms over at, at Caesars where I play poker. So 
Yeah, there's a good possibility you'll see me.